Good afternoon. There's no commercial support for today's activity. The speaker and planners have disclosed no relevant financial relationships with any commercial interest. You will receive a survey monkey after today's activity. If you're viewing online, the evaluation link will be listed in the links icon at the bottom of the screen. If you have a question, please enter in the Q&A chat and we'll ask at the end of the presentation. It is my pleasure to introduce today, Dr. Sahil Parag. He is from Jacksonville, Florida, and we won't hold that against him. He roots for the Jaguars. He attended West Virginia University for his undergraduate degree and West Virginia School of Osteopathic Medicine for Medical School. In July, he will be starting a nephrology fellowship at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. Dr. Parag loves to travel, try new foods, and explore different countries. He has been fortunate to travel to seven different countries during his residency. Join me in welcoming Dr. Parag. All right, thank you very much. Um, so as she stated, my name is Sahil. I'm a third year internal medicine resident. And today we're gonna to be talking about finerenone, a recently FDA approved non-steroidal selective mineral corticoid receptor antagonist. And we'll be talking about its use in patients that have chronic kidney disease and type two diabetes. So as mentioned, I do not have any financial interests or any disclosures. And then these are some of the objectives that we will be going over, specifically looking at the benefit of this uh, medication, the mechanism of action, and how it differs from the currently used mineral corticoid receptor antagonists. And then we'll also identify the recommendations for the specific populations that could benefit from this medication. So just going over an outline uh, for today's presentation. We'll start off with a review of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, um, going over specifically on the secretion of aldosterone. Then we'll look at some medications that can affect aldosterone uh, secretion, and then go over our current mineral corticoid receptor uses and medications that we have. Then we'll look at finerenone, its mechanism of action, and why it's a unique medication. And then we'll look at the Fidelo DKD study, which looks at finerenone compared to a placebo drug um, in patients that have type two diabetes and chronic kidney disease. Finally, we'll look at the new uh, KDIGO guidelines that are based off that study. And most importantly, looking at how this can impact our practice inpatient and outpatient and for the future as well. So first of all, going over the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. I'm sure we've all seen some form of this in the past, but just a refresher on this. This pathway starts off in the liver with the secretion of a pro-hormone called angiotensinogen. This is then converted into angiotensin-1 by the secretion of renin. Renin is released by the justaglomerular apparatus in the kidney when it senses a decrease in renal, uh, renal perfusion. Angiotensin then is converted into angiotensin-2 by ACE or angiotensin-converting enzyme which is released from the surface of pulmonary and renal epithelium. Angiotensin II has many functions, including stimulating sympathetic activity, 
causing arterial and vasoconstriction to increase blood pressure, stimulating the posterior pituitary for ADH secretion and increasing water reabsorption, and finally stimulating the adrenal gland to release aldosterone, which causes sodium reabsorption and water reabsorption. All of these things together cause a water and salt retention, leading to an increase in the effective circulating volume. That causes a decrease in the perfusion of, or that causes an increase in the perfusion of the justaglomerular apparatus and a decrease in renin secretion. So specifically aldosterone is produced by the zona glomerulosa in the adrenal cortex. This outer layer secretes aldosterone and we'll talk a little bit more on the next slide, its effects in the distal renal tubular um, cells. So here we can see on your right-hand side, um, the basolateral side or the interstitial fluid side. And on the side closest to me or your left side, we can see the apical side or the tubular lumen. So aldosterone binds to the MCR or the mineral corticoid receptor. And this causes an increased expression of the ENAC channels or sodium reabsorption channels on the tubular side and also causes potassium secretion or ROMK channels also on the tubular side. What's important to note is this mineral corticoid receptor. It's not only found in the distal renal tubular cell, but we can also see it in the colon, lung, liver, and the heart as well. So why does the control of aldosterone matter? Uncontrolled aldosterone or chronic secretion of aldosterone can cause many different things, starting off with our vascular endothelial cells. It can lead to dysfunction in the setting of shrinkage or mechanical stiffness, along with decrease in nitric oxide production. We can get cardiac and vascular fibrosis from increased collagen deposition. We can have hypertension from uncontrolled arterial and vasoconstriction. We can get increased triglycerides. We can have increased gluconeogenesis, leading to worsening obesity and type two diabetes. So some background, we can see the statistics on the left from the CDC. Type 2 diabetes is the leading cause of chronic kidney disease worldwide. It's estimated one in three patients with type 2 diabetes may have CKD in comparison to one in five patients with hypertension. Currently, international guidelines for management of patients with chronic kidney disease and hypertension recommend control of their hyperglycemia along with an ACE inhibitor or angiotensin receptor blocker, and more at least recently, the addition of a SGLT2 inhibitor. Despite these recommended treatments, a risk of CKD progression stands and newer therapies are needed. As you can see on the bottom, the cost of CKD and ESRD on the healthcare system and us focusing on looking at the overactivation of mineral corticoid receptors can help reduce that burden on the healthcare system. So now talking about current medications that can decrease um, the secretion of aldosterone. So starting off with beta blockers, they can cause a decrease of aldosterone secretion by decreasing renin in the, from the JG cells and overall causing a decreased amount of aldosterone release. More common medications are our ACE inhibitors or our angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors. And blocking this enzyme blocks the conversion of angiotensin one to angiotensin two. Another class are our angiotensin receptor blockers or our ARBs, angiotensin two and from doing all of the functions we saw earlier on in the presentation. 
Another class, we have are our mineral corticoid receptor antagonists. These are our current used mineral receptor antagonists, and these are all steroidal. Two examples that we see are spironolactone and amplarinone. And as you can see on your right-hand side, they directly bind to the aldosterone receptor within the cell, inhibiting its functions. Another class are our epithelial sodium channel blockers, and they block the sodium channel on the tubular side. And two examples are amylolide and triemterin. So specifically going into our steroidal MRAs, spironolactone was the first of its class to be launched, and it was launched in 1960. Um, the major side effect of this medication includes painful gynecomastia and impotence, and this is because of its androgen effects. Given this, it can also be used off-label for certain other conditions such as PCOS, excessive hair growth, and acne. Ten years later, a plarinone was developed to create a medication similar without the side effects. Um, both of these have been extensively studied and have shown cardiovascular benefits in patients that have heart failure with reduced ejection fraction and patients that have hyperaldosteronism or refractory hypertension. And our image on the left, we can see all of the benefits of our MR antagonists, which are kind of the opposite of the chronic effects of aldosterone that we discussed earlier. A few other side effects that we have to monitor for with these patients are an increased risk of hyperkalemia, AKI. So here we can see a comparison of both spironolactone and aplerinone side by side. Spironolactone is more widespread used. I'm sure we've all prescribed it or seen a patient that's been on this medication before, and that's because it's also relatively inexpensive. We talked about its adverse effects, and aplerinone, on the other hand, is more expensive. And another negative with aplerinone is it's, uh, it is less potent daily dosing in comparison to aldactone. On to the class of medications that are um, much newer. These are the non-steroidal MRAs. And as you can see on the bottom right of your screen there, we have um, multiple examples of these classes. So right now, finerenone is the only FDA approved uh, medication of its class. It was recently approved about a year and a half ago. Exacerdone is approved and used in Japan. And another medication, aparanone, is currently undergoing phase two trials. The first three medications with the numbers there are also being studied and have uh, potential to be approved in the uh, near future as well. So benefits of this class are they're a potent MR antagonist and they do not exhibit any activity at any other steroid hormone receptor. So avoiding those side effects that we saw with spironolactone specifically. It's 500 fold selective for the mineral corticoid receptor compared to 22 fold and three fold for spironolactone and aplerinone effectively. This medication is more potent in terms of anti-inflammatory and anti-fibrotic effects. So given this profile, it's important to study this to see if there's a benefit in terms of CKD reduction and the chronic effects of aldosterone. So next we're gonna talk about a couple of clinical trials. So specifically, we'll talk about the Fidelo DKD trial today. This looks at finerenone versus a placebo in patients with CKD and type two diabetes and compares their outcomes for kidney failure and reducing GFR. Another trial that was just recently completed is the Figaro DKD trial, which also looks at finerenone versus a placebo, 
but focuses more on the cardiovascular outcomes. So the Fidelo DKD trial stands for finerenone in reducing kidney failure and disease progression in diabetic kidney disease. This is an article that was published in December of 2020 in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it was designed to study finerenone versus placebo to see if this could slow down CKD progression um, in patients with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes. The study was randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled, and a multi-center study with over 5,700 participants. So patients that were included in this study were men and women ages 18 and older. Females specifically had to have a negative pregnancy test and show two methods of contraception given the teratogen properties of this medication. All of these patients had to have type two diabetes per definition of the American Diabetes Association. And they had to have a diagnosis of diabetic kidney disease with one of the following criteria. The first criteria was a visit with a GFR between 25 to 60 with presence of high urine albumin defined as a urine albumin creatinine ratio greater than 30 and presence of diabetic retinopathy. The second criteria was a GFR between 25 and 75 with persistent very high urine albumin, which was defined as a urine albumin creatinine ratio greater than 300. All of these patients had to be treated with a ACE or ARB at least four weeks before uh, presentation and their potassium had to be less than 4.8. Patients who were excluded from this study included patients with uncontrolled hypertension. So they defined this as patients with a systolic blood pressure greater than 170 or a diastolic blood pressure greater than 110. They excluded patients that had a urine albumin creatinine ratio greater than 5,000 presence of Addison's disease or diagnosis of chronic heart failure with reduced EF, since these patients needed to be on a steroidal MRA instead. They excluded patients that had dialysis or acute renal failure within 12 weeks of their screening visits. They also excluded patients with a history of a renal transplant or plans for one within the next 12 months. The last exclusion criteria they had were uncontrolled diabetics, which they defined as a hemoglobin A1C greater than 12%. So you can see um, the baseline characteristics of the patients that they included in the study. Their ages were relatively the same. Um, I've highlighted some of the key differences um, in their demographics. So starting off with over 70% of their patients were male. And then 63% of their patients were um, white, and only 4.7% of the patients were black. As far as their GFR, they're relatively similar in both groups, and their urine albumin creatinine ratio were also similar in both groups. Um, it was also interesting that 87% of the patients had a urine albumin creatinine ratio greater than 300 as well. So overall, they recruited 13,900 patients from 48 different countries. They underwent screening and 5,700 of them participated the randomization with finerenone or placebo. At the end of the trial, roughly 800 in each group had an adverse effect and had to discontinue the trial regimen. So the trial timeline had a couple different visits and periods. So first there was the run-in visit followed by a run-in period with a screening visit and then the randomization period. So the run-in visit was a time to first start screening labs for these patients. They had to be on four weeks of an ACE or an ARB. 
then they went on to run in period. This was used to titrate their ARBs to a max tolerated dose. And then during the screening visit, they repeated labs and they had to make sure that the patients were on the max tolerated dose of an ACER ARB for at least four weeks. Then finally, the randomization period, they were split evenly in the finerenone group versus the placebo group. And they had visits at the first month, fourth month, and then every four months after to monitor their electrolytes, serum creatinine, and blood pressure as well. So as far as dosing, they based the dosing of the finerenone group on their GFR. So patients that had a GFR between 25 and 60 were started on 10 milligrams daily of finerenone, while patients that had a GFR greater than 60 were started on 20 milligrams daily. The placebo group just received a tablet daily. During the study period, the labs were monitored, and if patients had a change in their GFR, their dosage was switched based on the scale over here as well. So the duration of the study was anticipated for a total of 3.25 years, two years for the recruitment phase, including the screening and up titrating their ACE and ARBs, followed by the study drug period for 1.25 years. There was an end of study visit and also a post-treatment visit four weeks after the last dose of the standard drug as well. So the outcomes studied in this um, trial were a couple primary and secondary ones. The primary outcomes used a time to event analysis, and this was a composite of kidney failure. So they looked at two specific things. One was to see the finerenone group versus the placebo group to see which caused more of a decrease of at least 40% in GFR compared to their baseline over at least four weeks. The second was kidney failure, which they defined as patient needing long-term dialysis or their eGFR being less than 15. Their secondary outcomes they looked at were a composite of death from cardiovascular causes, non-fatal MI, stroke, hospitalization, or heart failure. And the other thing they looked at was a change in their baseline urine albumin creatinine ratio after four weeks, or a decrease of at least 57% in their GFR from baseline. So for statistical analysis, this was designed to have 90% power to detect 20% lower risk of a primary outcome with finerenone than with placebo based on the 1,068 patients with a primary outcome event. Efficacy analysis were performed in the full analysis set and superiority, superiority of finerenone over placebo was tested by a means of a stratified log rank test. To account for multiple testing, the weighted Bonfort Bonferroni home procedure was used for the primary outcome and key secondary outcome, followed by a hierarchical testing for additional secondary outcomes. So our results, we can see from the different charts of our primary outcomes and our secondary outcomes. The line in red is representing our placebo and the line in blue is representing our finerenone class. So on our y-axis, we can see the incidence percentage for each of these, and then the x-axis, we can see the months till they had the event. And underneath that, we can see how many patients were at each stage during each month. So looking at chart A and B, we're comparing our primary outcome. So we can see, at least in chart B, a sustained decrease by greater than 40% from baseline. So we see that our placebo group has a higher incidence of patients that had 
a decrease in their GFR by 40% in comparison to the finerenone group. On the bottom in chart C, as far as their definition of kidney failure, we said that this was patients that had to be initiated on long-term dialysis or an eGFR of less than 15. There wasn't much of a change within that group. And then in chart D, we can see our secondary composite outcome, which was mortality from cardiovascular causes. We can see there was a higher incidence in our placebo group compared to our finerenone group. So this table gives us the exact percentages and I try to highlight in red some of the main ones and main differences there. So we can see a roughly 3% change in our primary outcome between finerenone and placebo group and specifically between our finerenone and placebo group in greater than 40%, we can see another 3% change within those as well. As for our secondary outcomes, we can see a 1% change as death from cardiovascular causes and then a 3% change in a sustained decrease of greater than 57%. The last tables for the results, we're looking at the urine albumin to creatinine ratio. So we can see the placebo group compared to the finerenone group at, listed at one on the y-axis. This is their baseline urine albumin creatinine ratio that they started off with, which was pretty similar from the initial table that we saw. You can see a significant decrease in the finerenone group after week four and continuation of that to plateau um, throughout the study there. And then in the chart to your right, we can see the mean serum potassium, which stayed relatively the same between both groups. So limitations of this study. The patients in this study had advanced chronic kidney disease, but excluded patients that didn't have uh, non-albuminuric CKD or CKD that wasn't due to type two diabetes. There was a lack of diversity in these patients. Only 4.7% of these patients identified themselves as black and 70% were male. So given these factors, this limits kind of the generalization of these findings to a population similar to ours. The length of a drug period was 1.25 years on average as well. So needs for longer studies are also important as well. So conclusion of this trial was that patients that had CKD and type two diabetes who received finerenone had a lower risk of their primary outcome, a decrease in their GFR um, or kidney failure. Patients also had a lower risk of a secondary outcome, which was from death from cardiovascular causes or a non-fatal MI. Another change they noticed was a significant reduction in the urine albumin creatinine ratio in comparison to the placebo, making a case to slow down chronic kidney disease progression with the use of finerenone. So from these results, they suggested that patients with chronic kidney disease and type two diabetes, that finerenone may be an effective treatment um, and give protection um, from a renal standpoint as well. So now we're gonna switch over talking about the current guidelines based on that trial. So the Kidney Disease Improving Global Outcomes set out their new guidelines in March of 2022. They looked at type two diabetics and chronic kidney disease and made recommendations of patients first line treatment and then second line treatments as well and included the use of the drug finerenone and the class of non-steroidal mineral corticoid receptor antagonists. So overall, they recommended a holistic approach to these patients. Starting in a pyramid scheme, starting at the bottom, 
with lifestyle changes. So diet, exercise, smoking, weight management, and reevaluating those every three to six months that you see those patients. Then they have their first line recommendations of drugs followed by goal-directed recommendations. So for their first line therapy, you can see here, they recommend all patients that have type two diabetes and chronic kidney disease be initiated on metformin. That's if their GFR is greater than 30. If their GFR is between 30 and 45, they recommend a dose reduction in their metformin. They also recommend a SGLT2 inhibitor to be initiated if their GFR is greater than 20 and they don't have any other contraindications to that medication. Patients that have hypertension, they recommend a ACE or ARB um, therapy for them and to up titrate to the max tolerated dose. And they recommend a moderate or high intensity statin for these patients as well. So specifically talking about ACE inhibitors, these medications should be max titrated to their highest tolerated dose. They recommend monitoring these patients every time you increase the dose or you initiate the medication and following up with them two to four weeks after that. So monitoring their potassium levels and then also monitoring their serum creatinine. They recommend continuing to up titrate as long as their blood pressure can tolerate that as long as their serum creatinine does not rise by greater than 30% within four weeks. And if it does, then we can reduce the dose rather than completely discontinuing the medication. As for SGLT2 inhibitors, I won't talk too much since we can go on a whole presentation regarding these, but their main recommendations were to initiate if their EGFR was greater than 20 and they didn't have any contraindications such as a genital infection risk, um, DKA, or immunosuppression. So the new recommendation they had during this year's guidelines were the initiation of a non-steroidal mineral corticoid receptor antagonist, such as our finerenone that we talked about. They looked at the Fidelo DKD study and made these recommendations based off of that. So they recommend patients that have type two diabetes, a GFR of greater than 25, normal serum potassium, and continue to have an elevated urine albumin despite being on a max tolerated dose of an ACE inhibitor or a ARB to be initiated on finerenone. They also recommend monitoring their serum potassium. So if their potassium is less than 4.8, you can initiate their dosing based on their EGFR and you can monitor their potassium one month after initiation. If they're in the 4.9 to 5.5 range, you can continue the dose, but you wanna to continue to monitor their potassium to make sure they're not greater than 5.5. If a patient's potassium is greater than 5.5, you wanna hold finerenone, look for other causes of their hyperkalemia, and you can reinitiate once their potassium is less than five. As far as dosing for these patients, they based it off of the Fidelo study. So patients that had a GFR of less than 60, they recommend starting with 10 milligrams, and patients that had a GFR greater than 60, they recommended 20 milligrams. So as far as our current mineral corticoid receptor antagonists, our steroidal ones, spironolactone and aplerinone, they re recommend initiation of these for patients that have heart failure with reduced EF, hyperaldosteronism, or refractory hypertension. So overall conclusion and kind of the next steps that we can take and what we can take from this. I mentioned earlier that finerenone is FDA a year and a half ago. It's currently brand named Corindia. 
As you can see in the bottom left is a coupon for, from GoodRx. The current cost of a 30-day supply is over $600. We do have it in our hospital right now, but this is not an affordable medication, which hopefully will become affordable with uh, more drugs coming out and hopefully with the development of a generic drug. But from our standpoint, this can impact our patients, inpatient and outpatient. Looking at patients that could benefit from this would be a key for us. Um, so first starting on our end and up titrating these patients that have an elevated urine albumin creatinine ratio to go up on their ACE inhibitors, making sure that we're following them up, that we're checking their serum creatinine and not discontinuing this. A lot of patients get taken off of a ACE inhibitor due to a mild bump up in their serum creatinine, but we're not following that 30% rule all the time as well. So making sure they're on their max tolerated dose of that and then sending them out either to nephrology or referral once this medication does become a little more affordable to see if they would benefit based on those guidelines there. Right. And these are my references. And then wanna say a special thank you to my mentors, Dr. Kalyanam and Dr. Mahmood and open the floor for any questions or you can scan the QR code for the quiz afterwards. Does anyone have any questions? Do you know of any trials that might be coming up to compare the SGLT2s versus this new medication to compare? Because they're both expensive, but one's better than the other. Yeah, so not comparing. I, right now, if we go back to the kind of their pyramid scheme, they're saying the SGLT2s would be a first line. So you wanna have them on that before we consider the non-steroidal ones. Um, but I'm not aware of any specific trials that are comparing those two head to head there. Great presentation. Um, are you aware of the, what are the adverse effects of this medication? Uh, I remember you maybe mentioned something about uh, patients dropping out of because of adverse effects. Are they similar to, you know, steroidal MRAs? So the big difference is they're similar in terms of like the potassium and patients can get an AKI. Those are the two most commonly reported um, adverse effects, but you're not having some of the um, androgen effects that spironolactone would have, such as the gynecomastia and impotence there. So benefit in terms of the adverse effects from a patient satisfaction uh, standpoint, um, but still from a lab monitoring would be the same um, adverse effects that we'd have to monitor there. Any other questions for Dr. Parag? We have none online. Thank you so much for a great presentation. Appreciate you sharing with us.